Welcome to the Living by Faith podcast. My name is Josh Tegrote, and this is episode number six. Thanks for checking this out. This is a podcast where we look at current news and events, theology, practical issues, and a bit of history, all from the perspective of the Christian's life of faith in Christ. I hope you find it helpful, informative, and encouraging. Let's get started. Did you know that we are actually voting for a president this, this coming November? It's amazing how the coronavirus news has completely taken over the news cycle and almost taken all the oxygen out of the room, even from something as significant as a presidential race. But there's been some news in recent weeks of note. Allegations have been swirling that Joe Biden, the Democratic candidate for the president of the United States, sexually assaulted a woman who worked for him when he was senator of the state of Delaware. This happened supposedly in 1993, at least that's the allegations, are from 1993. The woman's name is Tara Reid. And without getting into the details of the story, which is still unfo- which are still unfolding, the thing that's been uh, most interesting about this story is how the mainstream media has been reporting it, or for the most part, not reporting it. You might remember back in 2018 when Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh was going through the confirmation process. There were allegations of sexual mis- misconduct from several years prior. These allegations came out at a time when the Me Too movement was in full steam. The Me Too movement apparently started back in around 2006, but it really picked up steam 2017-2018. The Me Too movement, without question, uncovered some pretty nasty stuff that had been happening to women in the workplace for a long time. Women had been degraded, mistreated, sexually assaulted, used by men, in powerful positions. But unfortunately, along with the good came a burden of proof that was very weak, something that could not hold up under scrutiny. What was the burden of proof? We were told to simply believe women, believe women unqualified. And some went so far as to tell us we needed to believe all women. So when the allegations against Kavanaugh were leveled, a whole slew of people ready to believe all women jumped on board without question. Even when there was little to no corroborating evidence that Kavanaugh committed any of the offenses he was accused of. At the time, even Joe Biden jumped on the bandwagon. We got to believe women, he said. We got to believe these women. And sadly, the whole world witnessed a shameful attempt to destroy a man's life. Brett Kavanaugh, no, Brett Kavanaugh, no doubt, is an imperfect person, but he's an otherwise honorable man. And he was almost destroyed, and that, was, that seemed to be the attempt to destroy his life. So less than two years ago, Brett, or Joe Biden wanted us to believe women, seemingly without question, without evidence, unqualified. But now, Joe Biden, of course, does not want us to believe this one particular woman who's charging him with sexual misconduct. So what's changed? Well, it's obvious. Two, two years ago, it was a political calculation. Now, Joe Biden finds himself in the crosshairs of this accusation. This is what people in, by, in a bygone era, would, bygone era would have called rank hypocrisy, and that's exactly what it is. It's rank hypocrisy. Just to be clear, as Christians, we should have a serious problem with the unqualified implications of the, quote, believe women standard. Not because women are less believable than men, we shouldn't just believe women in an unqualified way, just like we shouldn't just believe men or brown-eyed men or <laughs> second-born girls. We should, 
we should not believe anyone in an unqualified way. And this is true because we have a standard from the scriptures when it comes to crime and justice. What is the standard? Well, Deuteronomy 17 and other places tells us that we are to believe on the evidence of two or three witnesses. There, is to, there are to be witnesses and eyewitness testimony and corroborating evidence. The idea that there are different standards for different people is something the Bible strictly prohibits and condemns. Proverbs 20 verse 10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. The word abomination is a strong word of detestation. The Lord hates it. When certain groups are given unfair treatment or preferential treatment before the bar of justice, it stinks to high heaven before God. Whether it's women, men, old, young, black, white, whatever group, if it's given unfair or preferential treatment before the bar of justice, it is an abomination to the Lord. We should care about justice, period. Blind justice, justice and only justice, as Deuteronomy 16 says. And so as the evidence comes out in the case with Joe Biden, we should hope for him to be exonerated if he truly did not sexually assault this woman, Tara Reid. On the other side, we should want him to be charged and punished if the evidence proves that he did. But there's something else that we as Christians need to remember, and this is almost, it's something that's almost completely forgotten in our society today. And it's this, no sin or crime will ultimately go unpunished. There will be perfect cosmic justice in the end. God is just. God is not mocked. When Christ returns, he will put everything right. And therefore, nobody, nobody ultimately gets away with anything. In this life, to be sure, justice often is perverted. People get away with things they shouldn't. But God has the final say. And therefore, every sin, however egregious or seemingly insignificant, will be weighed in the courtroom of eternal justice with a perfect judge and lawgiver and the punishment will fit the crime perfectly. We can rest assured of this. We can rest assured of this. And of course, this leads us to the gospel, where we understand that our sins were laid on Christ, but not only our sins, but also the punishment of our sins. They were laid on Christ for everyone who repents and trusts in him. This is our only hope. At the cross, God's perfect justice and mercy kiss. And therefore, all sin will be punished either in Christ on the cross or in hell forever. The next section is the catechesis section. For centuries, Christians uh, practiced catechesis. It's where they would take a catechism, a series of questions and answers that would help them learn the doctrines of the Christian faith. Catechesis simply means to teach orally or to instruct by word of mouth. And I am of the, the opinion this is a sorely missed practice in our day, a day where doctrinal ignorance abounds in the church. I think it would, it would benefit us a ton if this practice was taken up again. So I'm doing my part to promote the practice of catechesis. 
So what I'm doing is I'm making my way through a new, a modern catechism called the New City Catechism, which takes from some ancient creeds and confessions and puts them in the form of 52 questions and answers in modern language um, with a scripture for each one. So you can make, make, uh, make your way through it in a calendar year. You can download the app for free on your phone, and I would highly suggest you do. So we are, in que- we are at question number six this week. Question six is, how can we glorify God? The answer, we glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and obeying his will, commands, and law. Because we were made by God, we exist for God, and we exist to live for his glory. And so how do we do this? Well, the first part of the answer might surprise us. We glorify God by enjoying him. Think about what this is saying. It's calling us to joy, to real and eternal enjoyment. And because God is the greatest and most glorious of all beings, to enjoy him is to experience the deepest joy imaginable. We do not glorify God by dutifully doing what we don't want to do because we should. We glorify him by enjoying him. We are commanded in the Bible, delight yourself in the Lord. What follows is that we glorify God by loving him. So by enjoying him and by loving him. And of course, the first and greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6 and Jesus repeats it in the Gospels. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then we glorify God by trusting him, specifically by trusting what he says. This is talking about personal belief in the scriptures. Trust in what God reveals of himself, what he reveals to us about us and our need, and what he reveals about his provision for perfect salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, to glor- we glorify God by obeying him. Without this, there'd be a huge component in glorifying God that would be missing. It is obedience to God that glorifies him, but it's an obedience, it's a certain kind of obedience, and I find it helpful that, that it's in this order. It's obedience that flows from enjoying and loving and trusting God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, verse 15. This actually helps to define biblical obedience. True obedience springs from enjoyment and from trust and from love. And so how can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and obeying his will, commands, and law. The verse for uh, question and answer number six comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11. It's verse one. And it says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. In the history section, I want to talk a bit about the Protestant Reformation, which started in 1517 in Europe. The Reformation started when Martin Luther took his 95 theses and nailed them to the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany. These theses was basically disputed the practice of indulgences by the Catholic Church. But it turned into much more than just a disputation about indulgences. The Reformation became much more than that. And there are five sayings that seem to encapsulate the essence of the theological shift which was settled 
and came out of the Reformation. These five sayings are called the five solas of the Reformation. The word sola is Latin for alone. So the five alones of the Reformation. And here they are. Sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Sola gratia, which means grace alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Solus Christus, which means Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, which is glory to God alone. For the reformers, the word alone was all important. And here's why. The Roman Catholic Church believed and still does that the scriptures are important. They believed and still do that faith and grace are necessary for salvation. The Roman Catholic Church believed and still believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the Savior. They believed and still believe that God is worthy of glory. But they didn't believe and they still don't believe in the word alone. That They don't believe that you can add the word alone to Scripture, grace, faith, Christ, and glory to God. They didn't agree with Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, glory to God alone. The point of contention is, was, and still is the one word qualifier alone. And it really does make a world of difference. So let's think about each one of these solas, looking at what the Roman Catholic Church teaches and how the reformers responded. First, Scripture alone. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that the foundation for faith and practice was a combination of the scriptures and tradition and the teachings of the hierarchy in the Catholic Church, which which happens to be the Pope at the top. But the Reformers said, no, our sole foundation for faith and practice is scripture alone. Sola gratia. The, the, the Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that we are saved through a combination of God's grace and the merits that we accumulate through good works, as well as the merits of the saints who, who have died and who had enough merit for themselves and they can share some with us, so they're applied to us as well. And the Reformers said, no, that's, that's crazy. We are saved sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that we are justified by faith and the works that we produce. The Reformers responded by saying, no, we are justified by faith alone, sola fide, by faith alone. And it's faith alone which receives the free gift of righteousness. Solus Christus. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that we are saved by the merits of Christ in addition to the merits of the saints and the merits of Mary, and that we approach God God through Christ and the saints and Mary who all intercede for us. And the reformers said, no, no, no. We are saved by the merits of Christ alone. And we come to God through Christ alone. Solus Christus. And finally, soli deo gloria. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that the glory of a sinner's salvation could be attributed partly to Christ, but then partly to Mary and the saints, and even partly to the sinner himself. And again, the reformers responded, no way. The only true gospel is that which gives all the glory to God alone as taught in the Bible. So for the reformers, this was a matter of possessing the gospel, the true gospel, or possessing a false gospel. They believed 
that it is Scripture alone which teaches us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and that this is the only hope of the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. It's of the Lord. And so all glory goes to God. Thanks again for listening to the Living by Faith podcast. If you found it helpful, please subscribe, like, and share. And until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all.